Radio Split Ranch. Hello and welcome once again to Radio Split Ranch, a monthly visit with the great Capital Region radio personalities of the past and sometimes present. I'm Warren Garling when I'm not on the radio. As always, we start our monthly podcast with a big thank you to the composer of our theme music, the one and only, your friend and his, Drew Jacobs. And we start with this thank you every month because I couldn't afford to pay Drew for his creativity, so I promise to give him an opening credit on every episode and send a Christmas present every year to his pet parrot. Drew, of course, is a talented parodist whose latest CD comedy collection is available online at drewjacobs.com. Please consider a purchase because I'm running out of ways to thank this guy. If you're a regular listener here at the Radio Split Ranch, you've come to expect an interview with one of your favorite disc jockeys of the past and sometimes present, as I repeat way too often. But this month, um, it's going to be a little different for a number of reasons. First and foremost, the reason I don't have a new interview for you this month is because of a problem I've suffered with almost since my first year on the radio. I've been proudly erasing interviews since 1972, and it's happened for the third time in the 15 interviews I've done for this podcast, yes. But this problem I have dates back to the summer of 72. Let me share a story uh, that my wife has heard so many times in our 45 years together that she moans loudly every time I share it with new friends and forgetful relatives. It was uh, 1972. I was working at the old WKAJ AM and FM in Saratoga Springs, New York. My favorite memories from the 15 months I spent there were made at the nearby Saratoga Performing Arts Center, where some of the greatest artists of the day performed at the Summer Shed. And this uh, summer was no exception, with concerts by The Carpenters, Chicago, Neil Diamond, and many others. My backstage press pass allowed me to meet and interview some of these iconic artists. Being a huge Neil Diamond fan, I was thrilled that he was going to spend some time after the show and talk to the press. I told my morning show audience the day before, or actually the day of the concert, the morning of, that they should be listening tomorrow morning for my conversation with the Brooklyn-born superstar. And after his terrific concert, I made my way back and uh, joined the reporters backstage from local TV, newspapers, radio stations for our chance to talk to Neil. It was probably a little after 11 o'clock when we gathered. And by 11.30, we were a little bit concerned Neil hadn't joined us yet in the green room backstage. A bit before midnight, Neil's manager came into the room and apologized to us for his tardiness, but explained that some of Neil's family had driven up for the concert from New York City because it was the closest he was going to be to Brooklyn this summer. At this point, the TV station and newspaper reporters took off. They left, leaving just a couple of us from local radio stations waiting to talk to Neil. Now, I'm getting a bit concerned because it's well past my bedtime. I've been up since 4.30 that morning because I was the morning man on WKAJ, and I was expected to sign on the station again in less than six hours, meaning I had to drive 30 minutes home and then come back another 30 minutes for the 6 a.m. sign-on. But I I really didn't want to miss my chance to interview one of my favorite artists. Uh, By the way, I'd already seen this same concert just a few months before when I lived in Boston. That's how big a fan I was. So, Neil finally made his way, dressed in a smoking jacket, excuse me, to the piano in the green room backstage at SPAC. 
With another jock from the Johnstown radio station standing next to me, we took turns recording Neil on our portable cassette recorders, answering our questions about his tour, his music, and his latest number one single, I Am, I Said. When I finally left the parking lot, I don't know why, but I decided to drive just up around the corner, drop the cassette off at the radio station, so I wouldn't accidentally forget it, I guess, back, uh, you know, bringing it back a few hours later. I drove home and slept a couple of hours, then drove back to the station early enough to spend some time dubbing the cassette interview onto a reel-to-reel so that I could play it on the air. Okay, the station didn't have a cassette deck in the main studio, so I had to make a dub for airplay. So, standing in the production studio with the cassette containing the interview in one hand and an old 7-inch reel of tape in the other, in order to make a nice clean dub, I wanted to erase the reel of tape But instead, in my sleep-deprived state, I put the reel down on a desk, picked up the bulk eraser, and accidentally erased the cassette with my interview on it. The second I realized what I was doing, I dropped both the cassette and the bulk eraser on the floor, but I knew it was too late. And Why the bulk eraser didn't break, I'll never know. But I prayed for just a moment that I hadn't completely erased the cassette. So I put it on a machine, pressed play, and heard about every fifth word of the interview. During my three-hour morning show that day, I apologized to my audience more than once for not having an interview to share with them. I guess I managed to paraphrase some of Neil's answers to my questions while playing some of his hits that morning. Over the following years in radio, when my colleagues would ask why I didn't own my own bulk eraser at home, I'd share that story with them. That's, that's all it took, and they understood. I know 50 years have passed since that morning in Saratoga, but I still tear up at the memory, especially since a few months back, my old computer lost a great interview with Larry Mossy, who was gracious enough to come back a week later and record his story with me. If you haven't listened to that, it's our second time around on that one. And more recently, yeah, I did it another time. Bob Cudmore returned to the Radio Split Ranch after I accidentally erased our first interview on my new computer with upgraded recording software. That one was completely my fault. I, I won't go into details. And so, when my old friend Dr. Don Bowers recently agreed to find time in his ridiculously busy schedule to record this month's interview with me, I shared stories of some of my previous recording problems with him and assured him that I had now taken special precautions to make sure there'd be no repeat. And we had a great hour plus talking about his 50 plus years in this crazy business, But after he left and I went to play back the conversation, most of it was missing. Yep, just didn't get recorded. I don't know why. I couldn't recover it. And between his busy schedule and those of a couple other folks on my interview bucket list, in order to meet my self-imposed schedule of postings, I have no interview to share this month. Instead... In addition to the terribly exciting story I just shared with you, I'm going to post a chapter from my first memoir audiobook available through Audible called I'll Have to Ask My Mom. I know it's self-serving since in order to hear the rest of the book, you're going to have to buy it. But even if you just enjoy this one chapter, I feel better about missing the deadline. And Don has assured me that we're going to sit down again before my next deadline to talk about his crazy radio career. I already have air checks that he shared with me to edit into our conversation, and you're not going to want to miss this one. It's, uh, you know, this is a classic. So 
Enjoy this chapter from my memoir, which includes an air check of its own. Chapter 9, In the Afternoon, by Panic at the Disco, 2008. In my life, I'm only aware of a couple of instances where I've influenced others with my work on the radio. One of these happened very early in my career, when my neighbor Dale Witkowski decided to build his own home radio station, influenced by what he saw me do in my basement to get ready for full-time work in my chosen industry. Dale is the oldest of two boys in his family, so his parents had a bit more disposable income to use on their son's new hobby. All of his equipment was better than mine, from the quieter toggle switches he used in his control board to the fact that he had two rather new cassette players wired into his setup. That made it easier for him to play two songs back-to-back and even insert some recorded commercials in between songs. I'm proud to say Dale asked me to record some voice drops for his new station, WKTK, I assume representing the family name, Witkowski. So, over the instrumental portion of Beginnings by Chicago Transit Authority, I recorded something like, Welcome to the new sound of radio in Scotia, WKTK. It's only the beginning. My first non-paid radio imaging work, which I still do for friends today. In fact, today, Dale, with a new last name, Linden, runs an internet radio station on which you'll hear me twice an hour helping to position the music mix he plays on Sound Direction FM 101, Washington, D.C. Sound Direction FM 101 plays the most music. This is how Dale feeds his radio addiction, since he learned quite a lot faster than I that few radio disc jockeys get rich solely by holding down a full-time radio announcer's job. After a few short years trying to achieve that feat, Dale got smart, went back to college, and got a degree that resulted in a long career in the FBI. Now retired, he makes more money as a part-time consultant than I ever made full-time on the radio. Back in the past, my next few months of Sunday radio work went by rather uneventfully. I did make my first public appearance as Jesse James during the early fall of 1969, The station connected with our local teenage listeners through a garage band contest we called the Boss Band Competition. A WSNY 1240 Boss Band report. As of 5.30 this evening, the Eye of Newt Schenectady last night's winner in first position, followed by the Misty Waters of Schenectady, number two. Number three, the Spirit of Seventy, also from Schenectady. Number four, the Greater Half, Mohanesen. And number five, as of 5.30 this evening, changing times, Mohanesen. Tonight is the last night for this month's Boss Band voting. Winners will be announced at 5 o'clock tomorrow night for this month. Okay, so keep dialing 393-3622 and 393-3623 right now for your favorite area group. Listeners were encouraged to vote each evening by phone for their favorite local band. And the top three vote-getting bands at the end of each month would be invited to play at the WSNY Boss Band Dance in a local community hall. All the available DJs from the station would host the event and meet with their legions of fans. Uh, By legions, I mean a dozen or so, of course. Throughout my junior and senior high school years, I had acted in a number of drama club offerings, from comedies to musicals to dramas, so I wasn't afraid of being in front of an audience, and I remember my hosting chores going rather well. But I remember at one point in the evening, while crossing the dance floor, which was quite vacant, my old friend Tom Jefferson was calling out my name to get my attention over the volume of the winning bands that were performing. He yelled out at least a couple of times, he tells me, Jesse, Jesse. Finally, in frustration, he called out, Warren. That finally got my attention. 
Evidently, I wasn't programmed quite yet to respond to my air name. The remaining winter of 1969-70 was a senior year filled with announcing Saturday afternoon home games from the booth above the crowded bleachers of our high school football field, attending classes I didn't care much about, and acting in a supporting role in the stage production of The Diary of Anne Frank. I also co-hosted and helped write skits for the school's annual talent show, Spartan Spotlight, in the spring. As my high school career was drawing to a close, I was accepted at the only college I had applied to, the now-defunct Graham Junior College in Boston. Originally opened in 1950 as a secretarial school with nine students called the Cambridge School of Business, during the mid-1960s, the school started to build a rather reputable broadcasting curriculum. By 1970, more than 1,200 students who, like me, couldn't get into a four-year college, were enrolled as business or broadcasting majors. Among the broadcasting choices were radio and television performance and production and broadcast journalism. Graduates earned an associate's degree. Since I already had experience in radio performance, I decided perhaps broadcast journalism as a major with a minor in TV production would round out my education in the business in which I wanted to spend my life. Who knew I might become the next Walter Cronkite? I remember thinking, with a little prodding from my boss and colleagues at WSNY, that since I was already in the business, I really didn't need to get a college education. I was already in the business of my choice. I believe everyone I worked with at the station had high school diplomas, nothing more. However, I had a feeling this argument wasn't going to fly with my folks. I was going to be the first person in our family's history to attend college, and it was a big deal. I specifically remember mentioning to my Uncle Charlie, the sage in our family since he was the oldest, during my graduation party in June of 1970, that I wasn't sure why I was going off to college. He replied, in his usual short and to-the-point prose, for your parents. Boston, here I come. But first there was the summer to enjoy. Since I was still working weekends at the station, I thought my weekdays would be spent lounging about, not having to worry about classes or homework for ten weeks. But my mother had other ideas. She pointed out that if I wanted any money with which to go off to Boston, I should earn it myself. Imagine the gall! So she arranged for me to work for a few weeks during the summer at the soft drink bottling plant where she worked in the office. Of course, I would work on the production line, making the usual minimum wage, but I could have as much soda as I could consume at lunch every day. Not a bad perk for a skinny, college-bound kid very fond of root beer. I remember thinking that this summer job was going to be quite a step down from my lofty career in radio. And while it was a bit more physical than jockeying discs, it wasn't bad. I tried to keep thinking about all the extra cash I'd have when I got to Boston, my first time in the big city. The deal was that I would work during July and the beginning of August, but that I'd be available to work at WSNY for the last two weeks of August for the vacationing overnight announcer, John Paul Jones. Go, young Americans! Mr. Jones was born Don Bowers just a year or so before I, with a voice that started in his big toe and echoed up his six-foot-plus frame with a reverberation that left no doubt he was born to be a radio announcer. If you told me when I was 18 that I'd have the pleasure of working with Don again some 40 years later, at the end of my working life, I would have had you committed. He, like I, left full-time radio to work in sales and marketing, and our paths converged in 2007 
when I became the first marketing director at a voice acting training company. We worked together for almost 11 years before I retired from full-time work. Funny how life works. He turned out to be the bookends of my working life. Working the midnight shift on radio is quite a unique experience. This was the only time in my career that I'd work such a shift live on the air. But sounding alive on the air in the middle of normal people's sleeping hours means having to find considerable time to sleep during daylight hours, something young vacationing brothers and sisters were not necessarily interested in assisting with. At least by now I had my driver's license and the loan of my mother's car in which to make my way in and out of Schenectady for a couple of weeks. I actually learned how to record my show off the air for posterity, and stealing a couple of certainly unwanted 7-inch reels of recording tape from the production studio, I still have air checks of a couple of hours of my substitute work during Don's vacation. Just can't help believing that this girl's going to stay for a little bit more than a day. B.J. Thomas sings. Great sound it is, too. At night after one, all together. W-S-N-Y. 67, the current 1240 temperature with Credence on the Clearwater Revival. J.C. Fulgerty at the lead. And number 13, the great record race. Long as I can see the light. Good philosophy there. Long as I can see the light. At least you won't trip, right? Long as I... The most music. W-S-N-Y. At 12 minutes after 1, 67, the current 1240 temperature with... Jeffy Very good. Got it the first time that time. Oh, gonna hold you tighter and tighter and a little bit more. Number 7 this week in the great record race. It's live and kicking. Oh, I've been kicking. Would you please let go just a bit? You're too tight. Just just a little. Thank you. I got a pushed up button here. You see, right on. Thank you very much. Number seven in the great record race this week, Alive and Kicking. Dig that song tighter and tighter. 115. Instant hit. Fantastic sound of rare earth. Your love is fading. Rare Earth, instant hit. W-S-N-Y. Let's go in there, too. All the way to the top for I Know I'm Losing You. 19 after 1, 67, the current 1240 temperature. Fair this morning and through Wednesday. Early morning lows in the 50s. High tomorrow and Wednesday in the 80s. Currently at 19 and a half after the hour of 1 o'clock. At 67 with Jesse James and for John Paul Jones on a Tuesday morning, the 18th of August, 1970. And I also had the presence of mind to record the final hour of my last live show on 1240 WSNY. I believe it was the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, and for the first time I prepared some thoughts about my first 14 months in radio to share with my last Sunday afternoon audience prior to college. I chose a few oldies that highlighted my time on the station, planned to refer to a couple of girlfriends I had during my tenure, and prepared for a sunny farewell at 6 p.m. Only one problem. My body and mind were still on the midnight shift schedule. I was doing my last show during the hours I had been sleeping for the previous two weeks. So, to put it plainly, I was not completely present for my final shift on the station. Something that didn't go unnoticed by the station's general manager, who happened to be in his office down the hall from my studio working, for some reason, on a Sunday afternoon. 
At least a couple of times during my first hour on the air that afternoon, I gave a time check saying it was after 12 a.m. instead of p.m. This didn't sit well with the 49% owner of our station, who never attended the Don DeRosa School of Broadcasting. He didn't know about the rule that you should never correct or yell at an announcer during his hours on the air. So after my second, or maybe third, mistaken time check, he burst into the studio and yelled at me, Why can't you get the time right? I responded the way any normal 18-year-old screw-up would in the face of a much older, more important, and more importantly, correct boss would. I apologized profusely and assured him it wouldn't happen again. Had I had a bit more time to think about a better response, it would have gone quite a bit differently. This guy had never been on the radio. He was a businessman, and I believed he really had no idea what it took to do what I was doing. He also had regular sleeping hours, I'm sure, and didn't realize what my schedule had been for the last two weeks. If I hadn't spent time preparing for my last afternoon on the radio, and if I hadn't known that a lot of my family and friends were listening this special day, I know I would have looked him in the eye, unplugged my headphones, and handed them to him, saying, Here, you do it. How could he have responded? He couldn't fire me. It was my last day. And he couldn't do it himself because he wasn't a real broadcaster. But cooler heads prevailed. After my dressing down, I was now really quite awake, and the rest of the afternoon went smoothly. If you don't count the mistake I made when I went into the production studio to start the tape deck that would record the final hour of my show. When I started the recorder, I missed a step that would have actually ensured that I'd be recorded. I won't get into the technicalities, but suffice it to say, when I went back into the studio at 5.30, thank God, to check my air check, I noticed the mistake, swore loudly, corrected my error, and was able to capture my final half hour on the air. Nothing like going out with a bang. The Who Entertain with Summertime Blues at 5.30, one half hour, believe it or not, to go for Jesse James on a Sunday afternoon starting next Sunday at noon. It'll be Chet Arthur for a beautiful Sunday afternoon, so don't you miss him, okay? It's 5.30. WSNY, Schenectady. A great new sound from Michael Nesmith. WSNY. Instant hit. Called Joanne, as we play it by your request. Mike Nesmith and the First National Band is a brand new group as they split from the monkeys, and it's called Joanne, a 1240 instant hit at 27 before 6. 71 the current 1240 temperature. Shh. Close the door. We all have those songs that bring back great memories and transform you back in time, right? Well, this is it, right here, with blood, sweat, and tears. Twenty-five, or six to four, with Jesse James and much, much more music. Until six o'clock tonight. Seventy-one across twelve forty land. Clear and cool tonight with a low near fifty. Sunny to partly cloudy tomorrow and a high in the eighties. Seventy-one again. The current twelve forty temperature. Another one of those great memory tunes from the past. Thinking back on Friday nights, or or was it a Tuesday afternoon? 
this has to be the most meaningful and probably the best song the monkeys have ever recorded. Again, one of my favorites. It's 17 before 6. I want to be free. Clay Regazzoni of Switzerland won the Grand Prix of Italy Auto Race today. Jackie Stewart of Scotland was second, about six seconds back of the winner. Jean-Pierre Beltois of France was third. Well, that's what's happening with WSNY 1240 Sports. Sorry to see you go, Jesse. It's been a fun 15 months, and I wish you really good luck in the future. So long. Thanks a lot. That's uh, Chet Arthur. Thank you very much, Chet. And uh, I want to thank you for making my job so much easier, usually by doing the news. Of course, he's not here at the moment, and he probably won't do my news, right? Uh, I want to thank uh, Tom Jefferson, who got me the job 15 months ago. And uh, everything's just been fantastic here. I can't thank enough people for calling and requesting on the uh, Jesse James Sunday afternoon. It's really been a blast. And we will return someday, somewhere, and we'll see you again, right? And uh, I want to thank Don DeRosa. And uh, keep listening, gang. That's all I can say. Chet Arthur's on next Sunday. Give you a grand new Sunday afternoon between 12 and 6. At 6 o'clock tonight, it's John Adams. And this is Jesse James. And once again, the Fab Four will say it all as I say goodbye, fan. Who knows how long I've loved you. Radio Split Ranch. Well, if that got you thinking, this guy needs help, welcome to the club. But if you found it the least bit entertaining, I hope you'll consider checking out the full audiobook at audible.com. Of course, the print version, sans air checks, is available through amazon.com, costs less than a couple of Starbucks coffees, and contains a lot less caffeine. This is the time in our monthly gathering that I usually count up how many radio stations our guests worked for during their career. And since this is the closest I'll come to interviewing myself about my 50-plus years in broadcasting, I thought I'd keep the count going by adding in my 10 radio stations. I did not count... WMHT-FM, the public radio station, uh, sister to the PBS TV station I worked for for a few years, even though I guested during membership campaigns many times there. So uh, this is going to get our total, after 15 podcasts, to 170 different call letters represented by the guests at the Radio Split Ranch. To wrap up this month's fun, I dug deep into the dusty depths, you like that alliteration, of my CD library to find some production I did for the sales department at FM Country WGNA in Albany, New York, when I was working there in 1984. It'll give you an idea of what the area's first FM Country music formatted station was doing in their 10th year on the air. It was created for the sales department to give to local ad agencies to kind of convince them they needed to buy advertising time on GNA to reach a unique audience in parts of four states that we're listening every day. It's also a bit of a time capsule now when you listen to what the top five rated station in the market was up to heading into the mid-1980s. Hope you enjoy it and we'll consider returning to the Radio Split Ranch next month for a fun visit with another one of your favorite jocks from the region's rich radio history. There's that alliteration again. Until then, don't cry because it's over. Smile, because it happened. For over a decade, great northeastern America has come to depend on FM Country, GNA, for original, inventive programming. Through those years, involvement with our listeners has been our number one priority. And late 1984 and early 85 will continue in that tradition. Already this year, our commitment to the local country artist provided excitement for the thousand fans who attended our free Wrangler Country Showdown, sponsored by local Dodge dealers. Let me get right down to the nitty-gritty. Here it is. First place winner, 
Knight Riders, Sharon, Connecticut. This week, our local Wrangler winners head for the state finals in Buffalo. GNA's continuing search for local talent is resulting in national attention. Case in point, a nationally sponsored songwriting competition in which we've provided the first place national winners for two consecutive years. Hi, this is Grace Paul Dirk. Last year, Lance Middlebrook and I had the great fortune to be with Johnny Lee when he recorded our original song, Live Wire, in Nashville. We even appeared with him on the Merv Griffin Show as first place national winners in the Kentucky Fried Chicken Country Music Songwriting Contest. And it all started right here on the local level on GNA. Our community involvement was put to the test again this past April when we presented our fourth annual National Kidney Foundation Country Music Festival. For the third straight year, GNA raised the most money per capita in the entire U.S. 283-4800 or 283-4900. A very good chance that your pledge could be the one that put us over that $23,000 mark. So okay. let's hear from you. Here's where we really do stand. This is the total that came up from downstairs. And since they've got the adding machine, we'll go with them. $22,960.49. So we're talking less than $40 now to hit that that figure of $23,000. What a way to end this weekend. And thank you for coming through again. I don't believe... Over a 21-hour period, we more than doubled the total the previous year. What all this points to is a commitment by the GNA listener to support the local and national country artists and to support the businesses who choose GNA as their primary advertising outlet. But don't ask us. Ask the satisfied client. This Sunday, Adirondack Paradise presents David Frizzell and Shelley West. There's a full moon over Tulsa. Hi, this is John Hart inviting you to join me as I welcome Frizzell and West plus their opening act, the Blue Ridge Sundowners. Adirondack Paradise is typical of the GNA success story. Since early June, this new country venue has sold out concert after concert using GNA as their primary advertising outlet and the GNA personalities as MCs. Full houses have resulted for Lynn Anderson, The Kendalls, Frizzell and & West, and Farron Young. If you're in the market for a motorhome or travel trailer, camping tent trailer, or fifth wheel model, then RV America Recreational Vehicle Sales of Clifton Park and Neff Trailer Sales of Glens Falls have the best buy for you. Determined to continue as the area's leader in RV sales and service, Ask RV the folks America at RV and America Neff and Neff Trailer Sales of Clifton Park and Glens Falls. They had some of their biggest business days ever after using GNA as their primary advertising outlet. Your Dodge truck headquarters for Great Northeastern America is Village Dodge in Hudson. Now through Saturday, March 31st, you'll find unbelievable savings on Ram, Dodge trucks, all colors, Ask all Village sizes. Dodge and Hudson about their business since they started using GNA. They can now boast the biggest sales in their history and number one among Dodge dealers in the Northeast. In fact, the only reason they aren't on GNA at this minute is that they can't get the trucks fast enough to satisfy GNA listeners' demands for new product. Our involvement with the business community, the local country artist, and the GNA listeners in parts of five states in the northeastern United States continues through 1985. Our fifth annual week-long country talent search at Colony Center is set for October, Country Music Month. You're listening to the results of the Nashville recording session awarded to last year's winners, Whitewater. There is an old bridge at the southern end of town where the saying old fiddler used to hang around. 
keep you right there both night and day. You throw a coin in his case and it starts to play. That song is being heard on country stations nationwide. In the coming weeks and months, the GNA country team will present the biggest and best of what country has to offer, including the top 107 favorite country songs of all time as chosen by our listeners. Anne Murray in concert at the Glens Falls Civic Center in September. A month-long promotion celebrating Country Music Month in October. Extensive election night coverage for our award-winning Northeast Newswatch. Our third annual Toys for Tots Country Christmas Party, where last year we brought in over $25,000 worth of toy donations during our six-hour local country music event co-sponsored by Fryhoffers. And in December, our 12th annual Christmas in the Country. That'll provide us the chance to thank our regular clients with 30 hours of continuous country music dedicated to our best advertisers in 84. And all this will happen during an extensive outside advertising campaign designed to remind the Capital District of New York State there still is only one.